Welcome back. This is Robert Fleming. I'm one of the partners in the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. The other partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, is with me. We are going to talk about elder law issues. And I just want to warn, kind of a trigger warning for people. If you hate barking dogs, there might be some contributions from from Duncan and Rosalind Franklin, our office uh, office canine companions who are right now very calmly at our feet, but who knows what might get them excited when we talk about estate planning issues, which is what we're going to do, Elizabeth. Uh, at an earlier podcast, we talked about um, what it is that makes a, an estate plan complicated, and, and we tried very hard to make the point that it's not your net worth, or at least not solely your net worth, that we look at. It's a whole lot of other things. And, and that gives an opportunity, I think, for us to segue into a conversation about why we are so nosy about your family dynamics. You know, I usually start my first uh, first interview with clients with something like, tell me about your son, Randy. Um, and, uh, and usually people are very happy to do that. And I actually want to know about their children. And we can do them in alphabetical order or birth order or whatever. Uh, but, uh, but why are we asking those questions, Elizabeth? Well, Robert, I think when we talk about estate planning in particular, we want to make sure that when the rubber meets the road, that your plans work as intended. And if we don't know about the various interpersonal relationships, it could be with kids or siblings or could even be with a spouse, it's really hard for us to know that the recommendations that we may make about your estate plan will work when it's time to apply some of the provisions in the documents. I think that broadly speaking, whether we're talking about estate planning, whether we're talking about a guardianship or conservatorship case, when we're working with families, it's really important to know what some of sometimes the power dynamics are, what are some of the kind of nuts and bolts of who does what generally. Do you have a child who is a doctor who is, you know, super, super busy and also very capable? Or do you have a child who might be a CPA and wants nothing to do with medical decisions, but is really good at balancing a checkbook? Or is your child an artist and available and has a flexible schedule? Those are all the types of things that are very helpful for us to know when we're thinking about your estate plan and, and who may be available to do what. There are also important things to think about when we consider pairing. So again, if we're talking about estate planning, thinking about, okay, could your children really work together as co-trustees? Or an, an example about guardianship, for instance. Um, could your sister and your son work together and be co-guardians? These are all sensitive questions, Robert, and a lot of times people come in and they think about the work that we do is very transactional, and in many ways it is transactional work. These, these documents um, are living and breathing when they're in use, but <laughs> when they're not, they're often sitting on somebody's bookshelf, and, and people come in, they sign their documents, and then depending on what life orders up for them, they may or may not have a use for them in the short term. What we do know, though, is that by asking some of these questions that may feel a little prying, it's a higher likelihood that the recommendations we make and the kind of planning we do works for you. So when you say transactional, I understand, I think, what you mean. You, you think uh, a lot of clients 
believe that when they come in, they are coming in to get a trust or get a will or to to get a power of attorney. And, and we don't think of ourselves as selling documents or even estate plans. We think of ourselves as much more holistic, that we want to understand the family dynamics as much as we can without actually moving in and, and living with you for a week. We don't we don't need to be that nosy, but uh, but to try to get some sense. And, and I know, Elizabeth, I'm sure this is true for you too. I'm watching a lot of body language and the interaction in married couples when I say, so your daughter, the, the banker, she's really good with handling money. Um, if you say, uh, yeah, I want to know what that hesitation is about. And, uh, and does that mean you think that she would make investment decisions that are different from the investment decisions you would make? Or do you mean by that hesitation that she's perfectly fine, but she doesn't get along with her brother? Or she has a gambling addiction. Or maybe there's been a little history that makes you doubtful. Maybe she, maybe you wouldn't say she has a gambling addiction, but you have noticed that she, uh, she seems to be underwater a fair amount of the time. I distinctly remember a client some years ago who told me that she wanted to make her son, who lived here in town, her agent, both for health care and financial decisions. And when she came back three or four years later, it was to do a special needs trust for that son, who had had his problems when she came in the first time. But I just hadn't pried enough to get some sense of, of how... Uh, limited his abilities were, and she just assumed that it would be fine since he was the one living here in town. And Robert, I think when we start these conversations, I oftentimes tell people, please do not be offended by the personal questions I ask, and if you're not comfortable answering them right now and want some more time to think about it, that's totally fine, but here is why I'm going to be asking personal questions that might feel a little bit like they're prime. I oftentimes will set the stage that way so people kind of can get the feel for the context. This is also the case in trust administration appointments and consultations, Robert, when we talk about how to be figuring out a proposed distribution schedule, when we talk about how to be working with families and and answering questions about who will get what and and how to divide an estate and how to approach questions around a trust administration. I mean, again, we want to know about people, their capabilities, their relationships with each other, their ability to understand um, concepts. I think when when I ask people, do you think that the person who you're going to put in charge of your estate is going to be comfortable meeting with an attorney? If somebody says, oh no, she can just Google everything. She's really good on the computer figuring it out. You know, she loves WebMD. That might not be the person that you want to have be in charge of your estate or your healthcare decisions. You want to be looking around, thinking of the folks in your life um, who are going to be seeking out professional support and advice to administer your plans. So we also want to know, are the people here who you're going to put in charge the types of people who will be open to input and who will look for resources and and want guidance? That's also very important. And, and the dynamics among family members are really critical. We see, uh, after the fact, after parents die, we see the families come to, to battle with each other over silly things sometimes. And 
and clients, when they come in to do their estate planning, can't believe that their kids are the ones who will do that. And of course, your kids probably won't, but some do. And, um, and I always think that maybe parents had some inkling that there was going to be disagreement and discord um, long before they, they named one or the other of the children or the children together. You know, naming three children as co-trustees because you don't want to leave anybody out is, uh, I think that's just misguided. It is not an honor to be named as trustee. It's a pain in the neck. It's a lot of work. And it's some opportunity to be liable to your siblings for making mistakes. And it's particularly difficult, Robert, I think, to that point, when we see folks decide to name one person who's in charge of all of these different roles. You know, that that too can sometimes be a challenge uh, to understand or to talk through, um, both because it puts a lot of pressure on that one person And in fact, that person's going to be looking for advice from doctors and lawyers and CPAs. And and we want to talk about how you can build support around the person who you may put in charge if there's one particular person. So these are are interesting conversations. And again, Robert, they happen often in the estate planning context, but they also come up in these other practice areas. And I think one thing we, we will often ask about is, is there anybody who may be struggling with addiction, um, who may be managing mental illness or um, facing bankruptcy or looking at challenges with money management? Or in unhappy marriages. Right. This is not because we are writing down copious notes about, you know, gee, um, somebody's going to be a real pain in the neck to deal with. No, in fact, we actually want to make sure that the planning we're doing for you will work for them. That's, I think that's the, the secondary part of this, right? You're our client. We owe you a, a really a duty to, to come up with recommendations that are practical and meet your needs. But we also want to make sure that they work for the people who you care about. So all of that is why we are so inquisitive. That plus the fact that fundamentally, we are nosy people, and we like to hear the stories. So um, pardon us for asking a lot of questions about your family and family dynamics and kind of grilling you and, and asking if you really think that, they, that the kids get along as well as you say that they get along and all of that nonsense. That's why we're doing it. And Robert, I think this is a good time for both you and I to fess up that our families are not perfect at all. No, wait, what do you mean? My kids get along perfectly. I can't imagine them fighting. <laughs> oh, well, I think that's one thing I often have a chuckle across the table from people when I say, <laughs> you know, the truth of it is, is that we all have um, some level of dysfunction. Sometimes it's a higher level of dysfunction than other times. But I think you and I, uh, from our personal experiences, can relate that it's not all rainbows and unicorns. It's not. And and we should say that we are not saying that we want to read the tea leaves and figure out how your family actually gets along and make big changes. We're just applying a long history of experience with families and how well it has worked out to what you described to us to try to maximize the likelihood that things will work out and to give you what you want at the same time. If you come in saying, I want all three kids to be co-trustees, I hear what you're saying, but I don't care about it. I want them to be co-trustees. We can say, okay, it's not our recommendation, but we can do that. Um, but we would like to get a few more 
pieces of data so that we can maybe tell you why it's a bad idea, maybe tell you in your case we think it's okay, um, but, but we're curious. Curiosity is where we're going to end today. I'm Robert Fleming, the curious Robert Fleming, chatting with the curious Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We are two curious partners of the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm and curiosity shop of Fleming and Curdy PLC. You're listening to Elder Law Issues, and we are curious about whether you will do so again next week. Thanks. <laughs>